0: Live
1: from New York, it's Saturday Night! NBC Saturday
2: Night. Starring George Carlin. With Janice Ian and Billy Preston. A film by Albert Brooks,
1: Jim Henson's Muppets,
2: but not for any primetime players,
1: and comedian Valerie Bromfield, Andy Kaufman,
0: ladies and gentlemen, show
3: everyone welcome to the Dan Aykroyd podcast I'm your host Scott White and what are we doing this time well this is sort of a special episode one year ago I did the first Dan Aykroyd podcast so this is my one year anniversary so for my one year anniversary I thought I'd look at the very first episode of Saturday Night Live Eh? Yeah? see how that worked out The very first episode of Saturday Night Live happened on October 11th, 1975, and the first person ever to speak on Saturday Night Live was, of course, Michael O'Donohue. The first sketch is Michael O'Donohue is sitting in a chair, and we see John Belushi walking down the stairs. You know what? Let's just take a listen of the first Saturday Night Live sketch. Let us begin...
1: Repeat after me. I would like... I would like... To feed your fingertips... To feed your fingertips... To the wolverines. To the wolverines. Next... I am afraid... I am afraid... We are out... We are out... Of uh, badgers... Of uh, badgers... Would you accept... Would you accept... A wolverine... A wolverine... In its place... In its place. Next... Hey, Ned exclaimed.
0: Here, nurse,
1: clear. <laughs> Let's boil... Let's boil... The Wolverine. The
0: Wolverines.
3: <laughs> well, the sketch ends where Michael O'Donoghue, he has a heart attack, and he flops on the floor, and John Belushi, for the first time, we've seen a now-famous John Belushi eyebrow that goes up in the air, and then he fakes a heart attack, and he lands on the floor. So now they're both, I guess, dead on the floor, and Chevy Chase walks out with a, a head with headphones on and a microphone. And he just looks at the camera. And for the very first time in television history, he says, Live from New York, it's Saturday night. And we go into the opening credits. And the opening credits are a little bit different than what we have heard. Uh, I played that at the beginning of the podcast. There's a ton of guests in this first show. I'll say this right now. The very first episode of Saturday Night Live, you don't see the not ready for primetime players a lot in this first episode of Saturday Night Live. You can see that they're still, they don't know what it's going to be yet. They're just throwing everything against the wall and seeing what sticks and what doesn't. This is not much of a not it's not a sketch show as it is more of a a variety show of 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 past like Ed Sullivan or the Smothers Brothers where you just have a little bit of this and you have a little bit of that and a little bit of this and a little bit of that so it's still like well, i it you know it's finding its way it's the first episode we don't know what to expect and we don't know what it's going to become at this point so they're feeling themselves out and you get that in the opening credits Because in the opening credits, first of all, they list the not ready for primetime players. They don't, Don Pardo, you don't get, and, you know, Dan Aykroyd, John Belushi, Chevy Chase. We don't get that in this first episode. He just says the, and he says it, it's not, it's, and he doesn't say the not ready for primetime players. He says uh, the, the, not for prime time the not for prime time players. So they're not even the not ready for primetime players yet. And they just list them. They just list them in the credits. And they're not in alphabetical order. They're just there. And in the list of not ready for prime time players, they have George Coe and Michael O'Donohue. This is the only time George Coe is mentioned as a not ready for primetime player. And George Coe was an older character actor. All the primetime, not ready for primetime players at this point were in their mid20s. I think Chevy Chase might uh, Chevy Chase and Garrett Morris might have been older. Uh, they might have been in their late 20s, early 30s. But George Coe at that time was an established character actor well into his 50s. and I think they put him on the show just to balance out the youth at the time. He stuck out like a sore thumb on the show, so they just got rid of him. And Michael O'Donohue, I've mentioned him before. If you know anything about Saturday Night Live, you know Michael O'Donohue. There was actually a book written about him uh, making comedy dangerous again. I believe the title was. You could do a whole podcast on Michael O'Donohue. And Michael O'Donohue stops becoming one of the uh, primetime players, and he uh, goes into the role of special guest uh for the next few years on the show, but he is also a writer on the show. We get the host, and now, ladies and gentlemen, George Carlin. That's right, George Carlin was the first host of Saturday Night Live. And we're gonna do this, one of these.
2: Tangent alert, tangent alert, tangent alert.
3: In this episode of Saturday Night Live, George Carlin was supposed to be in the sketches with the primetime players. But at that time, he was so out of his mind on blow, on cocaine, that he backed out at the last minute. And he just does stand-up. He does four separate stand-up monologues in this episode. Plus, we have two other stand-ups. So this episode has six different stand-ups stand-up segments in it which is nothing how the show looks nowadays it also had four different musical breaks which is not how it looks nowadays it's just really interesting to see the idea that they had at the beginning and just how it's become what it is today it's really interesting to see how it was and how it is George Carlin He didn't do any of the sketches. He just does stand-up. And his first stand-up bit, he does his now-famous football-baseball bit. Football-technological. baseball pastoral. All of his stand-up bits in this all contain a now-famous stand-up material from George Carlin. And this is sort of a weird compliment. Even though he was out of his mind on blow... You don't see it. He looks like a complete professional, like he's totally in charge for that first episode. And we go to the first, I shouldn't say the first sketch, the second sketch. And it's a sketch called New Dad. This sketch is weird because there's no laughter. And I don't think it's because the audience wasn't laughing. I just think it was, I I don't know what it was. I don't think it was shown to the audience or... The, the sound of the audience is gone. It's just a sketch where Dan Aykroyd comes home and he meets his wife, played by Jacqueline Carlin. Jane Curtin, Gilda Radner, Lorraine Newman are three of our prime not ready for primetime ladies. None of them are in this sketch. They have another woman. This is another reason why not a lot of time is given to the primetime players in this because not only they have the not ready for primetime players with two extra primetime players, they have all these other extra actors and actresses coming into the sketches. It was a giant, giant cast. A lot of them uncredited in this first episode. And it's uh, Jacqueline Carlin, no relation to George. And we'll go off on one of these.
2: Tangent alert. Tangent alert. Tangent alert.
3: Jacqueline Carlin ended up being Chevy Chase's wife. And then his ex-wife. I don't know if that's how she got on the show. I don't know if they were dating at the time. I don't know if he met her on the show and they became involved. Uh, That I do not know. I'm thinking that He probably didn't have the pull. He was an unknown at this time. He had done uh, National Lampoon Radio and he had done National Lampoon's The Lemmings. Uh, But he is not, you know, he's not the comedy icon he is now at this point. So I don't believe he had a lot of pull on getting her. It might have just been coincidence. I don't know. Or he met her on there. As Dan Aykroyd comes in. He says hello to his wife and he says hello to his son and he sits on the couch and we get a voiceover. What happens if you, if one day you're suddenly gone and the gist of the sketch is Dan Aykroyd fades out of the sketch and then Chevy Chase comes in as the quote unquote new dad. So it is a commercial parody of if you die, you can hire a new dad to come in and take care of your family. Then we go right into a musical guest. So we are, we are the monologue and one sketch in, and we are already at our first musical interlude. As I'm telling you, this show looks nothing like the way it is now. And, of course, it's the great Billy Preston, and he's singing, Nothing from Nothing Means Nothing. Even if they were worried that the comedy fell flat, the music in this opening episode is just amazing so they have george carlin doing his stand-up and they just have amazing music in this so i think they did that just to cover up anything the sketches might fall flat and a couple of the sketches do fall flat and there's no saturday night live band yet so billy preston is playing with his own band at this time and it's billy preston it's just a fantastic song i have nothing more to say of that now we cut to a courtroom scene, and it's George Coe <laughs> as the judge. Playing, you know, so I, that's why they have him, the older judge. Chevy Chase and Garrett Morris are playing lawyers, and they're questioning Jane Curtin. And one thing I want to say about Jane Curtin in this uh, Jane's Curtin's hair in this—it's weird. It's, I—it can't be a wig, because it's—it's the same way in just about every scene that she's in. It looks like a 1950s housewife hairdo. It just doesn't, it's not, it just didn't look very, I'm glad she changed her hair. Uh, let me put it like that. The scene is that uh, Jane Curtin was dragged into an alley and they want to know what was said to her by the perpetrator in the alley. And she just can't say it. She just can't say it. It's it, It's just, it's just too devastating to say. And uh, the judge says, well, why doesn't she write it down? So she writes down what she, what was said to her and the judge gives a woe face and Garrett Morris gives a woe face and Chevy chase gives a woe face. And then they hand what was said to the jury and it's John It's Dan Aykroyd and he looks at it and he gives it to John Belushi and he looks at it and then he tries to give it to Gilda Radner and Gilda Radner is sleeping. So she has heard nothing that's been going on. John Belushi nudges her. He gives her the note. She looks at him. She gives him the high five. Bam! End a sketch. These sketches all end pretty, pretty abruptly. They, they haven't learned how to end a sketch yet. It's all basically, bam. It's you, you hit a brick wall and the sketch is over. Interesting thing about this sketch is in the jury besides John Belushi and Dan Aykroyd and Gilda Radner, Richard Belzer was in the jury. Al Franken and Tom Davis, the writing duo was in the jury, and Elliot Gould, film star Elliot Gould, who went on to host Saturday Night Live a bunch of times, was in the jury in this sketch. And now we go to Andy Kaufman. Andy Kaufman does his famous Mighty Mouse bit. So if you know Andy Kaufman, you know the Mighty Mouse bit I'm talking about. I put the audio in here, but it's not an audio bit. It's a visual bit. It's got to be online. It's the audience gets it. it. It's a simple concept, and the audience the first the first time is a bit off, but once the audience gets it, they get it. Then we go from Andy Kaufman to George Carlin, and George
1: Carlin does another monologue. Let's listen to some of that. Do you ever look at the crowds in old movies and wonder if they're dead yet? <laughs> <laughs> Have you ever tried to throw away an old wastebasket?
0: You can't do it.
1: People keep bringing it back to you, man. Hey, uh, your wastebasket was in the garbage. Here.
0: <laughs> Check
1: this out. When you have a package of bacon, underneath all the neat horizontal strips, there's always one weird piece of bacon. <laughs> like Now
3: we go from George Carlin. He introduces Janice Ian, and I will admit, I did not know who Janice Ian is. I was not aware of her. I was not aware of her music. She is a singer-songwriter. She is a Grammy winner, and she sings the song at 17. Her musical style is, Billy Preston was like upbeat and and happy music, and I don't want to say hers was just a somber Uh, mellow tone and I will say after hearing her on this first episode of Saturday Night Live I'm going to research her and listen to her music she sang the song at 17 and she had her own band as well and it's just it's just most of the song is just her on a guitar uh singing and uh it's just beautiful lyrics beautiful voice beautiful beautiful song now we cut to the show "Victim of Shark Bite," and I don't know why it's not "Victim of Shark Bites," but it's "Victim of Shark Bite." And Jane Curtin hosts this show. She always seems to be the host of these shows, for the most part. Sometimes uh, when a guest host is there, they take over. But for the most part, for her tenure on a Saturday Night Live, she did the news, and she always seemed to be the host of some sort of talk show. And this talk show is "Victim of Shark Bite." And John Belushi is on there claiming that he got his shoulder bitten off. He was just hiding his arm under his coat. Jaws was just out the summer before. So Jaws was only two or three months old when this show came out. So it was still the hot thing. So they were obviously piggybacking on Jaws. Here's another one of these.
2: Tangent alert. Tangent alert. Tangent alert.
3: Steven Spielberg directed Jaws. John Belushi started the sketch about shark attacks. Steven Spielberg directed John Belushi in 1941. Bam! Which was my first podcast. You want to go ahead, take a look at that one. Go back to where it all began. One year ago today. Jane Curtin says, she looks at the camera and goes, we back with more shark bite after this. But well, we don't come back to more shark bite. We cut back to a commercial. It's a parody of a Geritol commercial called Jam It All. And it's Chevy Chase standing next to Michael O'Donohue. And Chevy Chase let's keep going. This is my wife. I don't know how she does it all. She works from morning till night. and When I come home, she's still full of energy. How do you do it, honey? And it's Michael O'Donohue smoking a pipe. I do it by Jam It All. It was a parody of the Geritol commercial. Once again, there's no laughter on this. So this is Shown in some sort of void, the audience—we are not hearing the audience response. I don't know if it was shown to the audience, or I don't know if it's just shown to the viewers at home on tape. I-, I don't know how that works, but there's no audience reaction, good or bad, on this one. Much as the first sketch, uh, New Dad. Then we have a brief Paul Simon. I'm going to be the host of the show next week. So they're setting up the big stars already. Paul Simon was huge in 1975. And the big deal was Art Garfunkel was going to be on the show. So they were going to have a Simon and Garfunkel reunion. That's pretty good for the second show to get Simon and Garfunkel back together. Then we have the now famous weekend update with Chevy Chase. And he doesn't say, hello, I'm Chevy Chase and you're not. That comes later. He just introduces himself as Chevy Chase, and the majority of jokes are uh, President Ford jokes. But he does do, in this first episode, his famous stamp prostitute joke, this one right here. The post office announced today that it is going to
1: issue a stamp commemorating prostitution in the United States. It's a 10-cent stamp, but if you want to lick it, it's a quarter. <laughs>
3: And then we cut to uh, Lorraine Newman, and this is Lorraine's big piece in the in the show. I I usually complain in the other podcast I've done about Saturday Not Live episodes. I I have said the women do not have a lot to do in the episodes. They don't have a lot of to do in this episode but nobody has a lot to do in this episode because it's just crammed with so much stuff nobody really has a chance to shine Uh, a couple of them do Uh, chevy chase does shine as the newscaster and he attributes that's what made him famous every night it's like i'm chevy chase i'm chevy chase so he was putting his name out there in the lexicon so everybody knew who he was we cut to Lorraine Newman. She's at the Blaine Hotel, and she's talking about these grisly murders that are happening. And you, you hear this, and you don't know what's going on. It's like, okay, well, it wasn't funny. It was a sort of weird. Then we go to another commercial parody. Try and open it, and it's arth- arthritis medicine. And this, the gist of it is these this guy with arthritis can't open his arthritis medicine. Once again, there's no laughter It's in that real, it's in that weird void where it's shown to us. And then after that commercial, the payoff. Don Pardo says guests of the weekend update stay at the Blaine Hotel, the Blaine Hotel where the murders were committed. That's very clever. They set up the joke, it was weird. They came back, they paid off the joke. Okay. Now we go to the next scene it's the Muppets. It's a darker version of what would become the Muppet Show. They sexualized the Muppets in this one, which is just off-putting. And once again, the sketch just oddly ends and George Carlin comes up and does his third monologue. And I don't know if the audience is getting tired of at it at this point of hearing George Carlin. His first two monologues went well. This one starts off slow. And he actually calls out the audience. He actually calls out the audience on this one for not laughing.
1: Did you ever dial the phone and forget who you're calling? Don't you feel dumb? You don't know whether to hang on and hope you recognize the voice or not? Then when you remember who it was, you have to call back, so you change your voice so they don't think you're a moron.
0: Right? Did you ever...
1: Look at yourself in store windows when you're walking past the stores. Hey, I look cool in the store window, man. Have I done these jokes before tonight?
0: They used to tell me.
3: I guess that revs him up again, because then he goes on, he talks about, uh, he has his famous uh, bits about there's no blue food and oxymoron jumbo shrimp well that's like military intelligence they don't go together so that set started off weak but ended strong and now we have a film by albert brooks the impossible truth and this film written and directed by albert brooks let's go off on one of these
2: tangent alert tangent alert Tangent alert.
3: Lauren Michaels wanted Albert Brooks to be the host every single week of Saturday Night Live because he was established at the time. He was more established than the people on the show. And Albert Brooks says, no, you should have a rotating host. So the the idea of a rotating host was because of Albert Brooks. We're back. In lieu of being the host, he said that he would direct these short films. And these do appear on the first season of Saturday Night Live. And this one is called The Impossible Truth. And it's, the movie is like one of those old newsreels that you see, that you would see before the movies in the 1930s and the 1940s. You know, Mr. and Mr. America and all the ships at sea. It was an updated version of that, of Impossible Stories, where he talks about a blind cabbie and, uh, how Israel and the state of Georgia are going to change places. And the weirdest thing on that is you see a flag of Israel and you see the Confederate flag right next to each other on the wall. That is a weird juxtaposition to see. Now there's one tale of impossible truth. I forget which state they say it is, but they say they've lowered the age of consent to seven and they cut to a date of a man on a date with a seven-year-old and he's talking her up. It's just creepy to watch. It's just creepy to see. You always hear this. Times were different in 1975. But we are more sensitive to that now. And I am not I am not a sensitive person when it comes to jokes. Not at all. But this was just, it just felt wrong. It just felt... <laughs> and that's how that ends. And now we cut to the very first... B sketch and it's a bee hospital and it's all the male characters walking around in bee outfits and the first nurse to come out Jane Curtin gives a baby to Dan Aykroyd and says congratulations it's a drone and then Lorraine Newman comes out and says gives it to Garrett Morris congratulations it's a drone and then Gilda Radner comes out and gives it uh, the bee to uh, John Belushi and says, congratulations, it's a worker. And I guess that's a bad thing because, oh, it's a worker, it's a worker. All right. And then it's like, next week on Bee Hospital. And they give the baby to Chevy Chase. It's a queen. And the sketch over. It was a simple sketch. The costumes really made that sketch. See people, see these guys walking around with the antenna bobbing around. The, the bees would become a a staple in the first years of Saturday Night Live, and John Belushi hated playing the B. He hated it, and they made him do it all the time just because he was so good at it. So that's got to suck when you're so good at something that you hate doing. And then we have a late night, uh, we have a, we have another commercial parody, and this one is done in front of the studio audience because you can hear the studio audience laugh, and this is a late night TV ad uh, brought to you by ABC uh, Academy of better career and I can't help but think that they did ABC just to poke fun at the ABC network and it's Gilda Radner and this is her time to shine and the spokesman is a guy named Wendell Craig I don't know why they didn't use the other not ready for primetime players I Maybe they brought in these older actors just to have a backup to, you know, just to maybe solidify all these unknown younger actors. There are just tons and tons of actors and actresses. So nobody really gets a a decent amount of screen time. Everybody gets minimal amount of screen time in this first episode. And the commercial is how every commercial used to say operators are standing by. Well, the commercial is we are looking for operators to stand by. And basically the commercial is we will teach you how to answer a phone and tell people to stand by or stand by as a commercial operator. That's the gist of it. Bam, blackout. And now we cut to another stand-up. Valerie Bronzefield. This one, okay, before we get into her stand-up bit, We have a double, double, double one of these.
2: Tangent alert. Tangent alert. Tangent alert.
3: It's a double, so let's hear it again.
2: Tangent alert. Tangent alert. Tangent alert. Billy
3: Crystal was supposed to be in the spot doing his stand-up bit, but he walked off because they told him to cut his stand-up bit. He wasn't going to do it. I understand because when you see the stand the stand-up bit is hardly 2 minutes. It's hardly worth it. And if you're a stand-up, sometimes a setup is 2 minutes. Uh, but just so just to get all the material that you want to do in a 2 minute span, it's unfair to the audience, and it's unfair to a stand-up. And that's why Billy Crystal walked. Now, Valerie Bromsfield was brought. And Valerie Bronsfield, here's our second one of these, second tangent alert. She was a comedy partner of Dan Aykroyd. I don't know if this was how she got on the show after Billy Crystal walked. And because, as I said, like Chevy Chase at this point, Dan Aykroyd, big, I don't know if he was big in Canada, but he has no clout at this point. And Valerie Bronsfield does her two-minute stand-up bit it's about um she plays a volleyball teacher i believe her first minute was bad her second minute was good but when you only have two minutes you got to make sure your whole set is good i don't blame her two minutes is a stand-up your setup uh, you could feel it was rushed she was trying to get all of her material in in the allotted time I feel good and I feel bad for her. She got on a network show, but it was obviously not the set that she wanted to do and not obviously the set that she could have done. Now we cut to another. It's not a commercial parody. It's another film. I don't know the name of the cigarettes, but back in the 70s, you could advertise cigarettes on television. This was before you couldn't advertise cigarettes on TV anymore. And these people would go around in a truck saying, show us your brand of cigarettes. I forget what it was. And people would show them their cigarettes. Well, this was a parody of that, telling them to show us your guns. It's a one joke film that goes on a little too long. I shouldn't say it's a one joke film. It's a one joke film. And then we get to a police officer who can't find his gun. So that's the other joke. Uh, This goes on a little too long. You get the gist of it after the first couple of people, but they do it for eight, nine people. This probably could have been cut to have more room for the for another sketch with the not ready for primetime players. They figured it out. Now we have George Carlin doing another monologue. And this monologue is about God and it's about religion. And it takes God down a peg. It tells he's telling people that maybe God isn't perfect. He is openly speaking about religion on TV. Now, so granted, this is probably around 1230 Eastern time. But he's still talking negatively about religion on a TV show. That is a major, major step that Saturday Night Live took there. And then we see another musical number by Billy Preston, Fancy Lady. He knocks it out of the ballpark again. Don't really have anything else to say about that. The musical the musical sponsor does fantastic. Our next sketch, which is uh, John Belushi and Gilda Radner are sitting on the couch And all of a sudden, Dan Aykroyd comes rushing in with a mask on his face. And this is uh, Chevy Chase had a chance to shine in the weekend update. The only other person that really has a chance to shine from the Not Ready for Primetime players is Dan Aykroyd in this sketch. And he does his fast-talking businessman. And he has this. And they knew he could do it, so I don't know why they didn't use him in these commercial parodies. He would have been perfect for that. I guess they weren't ready they didn't know that he could do it they weren't ready for him to do it at the time the sketch is he breaks in and he has a gun and a ski mask and he takes it off and he and he wants to sell security to john belushi and gilda radner he has this fast talking person right here
0: hi there ah, please
3: do not be alarmed this
1: is only a simulated assault and burglary repeat this is a simulated assault and burglary This could happen to you at any time. In fact, it just has. Honey,
0: call the police! Do something! No, no, no,
1: no, don't call the police. I am the police. (laughs) I might be, anyway. Hi, Mr. and Mrs. Cromer. My name is Kenny Vorstrather. I'm president of Trojan Horse Home Security. (laughs) I broke into your home tonight to show you just how vulnerable you and your family are to crime. I sell a complete range of home and garden security devices. You might say security is my life. I'm fully qualified to make you feel secure. I... I used to be an armored truck mechanic in Lever City, Arizona. And you, Mr. Cromer, have the perfect right to throw me out of your house, if you think you can.
3: And he tries to convince him, and then he brings Garrett Morrison as his partner. Broken record time. As I've said before, it's the first episode where not a lot of people have a lot to do. But in this sketch, Garrett Morris just bursts in, and he says one or two words, and he just stands there for the rest of the sketch, which is a recurring theme. Along with the women in Saturday Night Live, Garrett Morris really has nothing to do in these sketches most of the time. And this is the beginning of it. This is the first one where he just stands there and he doesn't. Say, he says maybe one or two words in the entire sketch. It's frustrating. You want him to do more, but he just doesn't do more. Uh, the sketch ends where Dan Aykroyd is holding their child hostage and they agree for the security in the house. We go to another commercial parody, which is a triple track razor. And we have another spokesperson, Andrew Duncan. He's doing this commercial. So, this is another person that's not ready for primetime player doing a sketch on Saturday Night Live. And he's talking about the triple blade. The gist of the sketch is if we tell you anything, you'll believe it about shaving. Nowadays, we have these razors. So, this. Sketch is sort of ahead of its time. It's talking about how 3 blades in a razor is wacky and crazy. We have that now. Saturday night live, they're soothsayers. They're predicting the future, razors. George Carlin introduces janice Ian one time. She sings the song in the winter. Uh, oh, beautiful. She's at the piano. It's just her and the piano and her voice, beautiful. And we're at the end of the show. And George Carlin thanks everybody. And the credits roll. And for some reason, everybody in the credit has Bud in their name. It's Lauren Bud Michaels. Uh, Chevy Bud Chase as writers. I don't know why. If anybody knows why Bud is written in everybody's name, please let me know. Send me an email. Leave me a message. I couldn't, I've couldn't. i looked it up. I couldn't find out why that happened. And an interesting thing I found out is Garrett Morris was one of the writers I didn't know he was a writer for Saturday Night Live, but he wrote on this first show. I don't know what he wrote. He didn't write anything for himself, but he was a writer. He was actually a writer on the show before Dan Aykroyd, because in the credits, Chevy Chase is credited as a writer, and Garrett Morris is credited as a writer. Dan Aykroyd becomes a writer later in the show. So Garrett Morris was a writer on Saturday Night Live before Dan Aykroyd. Wow, I did not know that. I am learning something every time I do this podcast. Now, it's awkward while the credits are rolling. It's just George Carlin out on the stage. They haven't done that at the end where the whole cast comes out. I'd like to thank the cast. The cast isn't out there. The musical guests, they aren't out there. It's just George Carlin out there for a minute and a half while the credits roll. You can tell by the end it's really, really awkward. He really, really doesn't know what to do. And that, my friends, was the first episode of Saturday Night Live. And what do I make of it? It's a hodgepodge. It's worth watching to see where this iconic show started. George Carlin's bits are great. To see Andy Kaufman do his Mighty Mouse, that is great. The music, as I said, it's great. The sketches, some of them are kind of weak. It's just, they're still feeling around. You haven't, you don't really have the personality of each primetime player yet. You don't know what role they're going to play in the future in this one because there are so many people on the show that they don't have a chance to show you who they are. That's going to come later in the run. As for Dan Aykroyd, Dan Aykroyd, as I said, besides Chevy Chase, is the only person in this first episode who gets to show what he can do. Everybody else has to wait a while. So I would suggest, if you're a Saturday Night Live fan, you've probably already seen this. If you're interested in where it all began, check it out. Check how much it's changed between now and then. And that is it. That is the end. This is the... One-year anniversary, Dan Aykroyd Podcast. I want to thank you guys for listening. If you want to support this podcast, you can do it on my Patreon page, patreon.com backslash Scott White. If you want to see my stand-up dates, you can go to my website, scottyblanco.com. It'll tell you where I'm going to be, and it'll tell you all the things that I'm working on right now. And that's it. So, until next time, we'll see you here on the Dan Aykroyd Podcast.
1: Just want to thank you all for having some live fun with us, you at home, and everybody here. And want to thank all the guests, of course, Janice Ian, Billy Preston, Albert Brooks, and Muppets, Valerie Brownfield, Andy Kaufman, not quite ready for primetime, players and everyone who took part in this. And I would not be sensible and sane if I didn't tell you, I got a brand new album this week. I hope you'll see it.